0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Body Justice. I started this podcast because I believe that all bodies are good bodies. All bodies are deserving, worthy, and all bodies are whole just as they are. In today's world, it's ever hard to embody this as our truth. My mission is to create a space to process body image, eating disorders, and relationships through a justice oriented lens. I'm a licensed therapist in California and an eating disorder survivor myself. I know what it's like to be at war with myself and also to find peace again. Thank you for being here, and I look forward to being your host. Hey everyone, welcome to Body Justice. Today, I have a special episode. We're gonna answer some listener questions and answers. This has been on my to-do list for quite a while. So thank you so much for being patient. These questions came from story responses on my Instagram, which if you're not following yet, go ahead and find me on Instagram at bodyjustice.therapist, also on TikTok at bodyjusticetherapist. So um, you know, every once in a while, I do question and answers on my stories when I have the time and capacity. Um, but I, al- I can't always get to every single one. And this breaks my heart because you guys a- ask so many good questions. So I have four today that I'm going to answer. Um, before I go into that, um, make sure that you sign up for my email list where you can get exclusive content and updates about body justice and my practice. If you go to my Instagram link in bio, you can click... Um, email list and just sign up and that way if any of these platforms ever go down because technology is crazy um i'll still have your contact information and we can remain in touch okay that being said first question is how do i work on feeling like i'll never recover it's so discouraging yes i want to just validate that because that is a really common feeling in recovery um i definitely felt like that pretty much up until I got to the point where I no longer felt so paralyzed by my eating disorder thoughts and urges, I didn't really believe that I would fully recover until I got there. So, I just want to validate that that feeling does not mean you're not going to recover. Um, Recovery is hard. And, you know, in the recovery community, there's so much nuance around the word um, or the term fully recovered. and. You know, we have to acknowledge that recovery is a privilege. I think Project Heal just put out an infographic about how much the average out-of-pocket cost is for eating disorder care. If you go through all the, um, you know, traditional steps of inpatient to residential to PHP, IOP, and outpatient, um, I think that average cost was like $80,000 a year, which is insane. Who has that kind of money just like laying around? Now, if you have insurance or things like that, it could be significantly less, but not everyone has insurance, right? And not all providers take insurance. So um, yeah, I wanna acknowledge that there's real barriers and having this goal of full recovery can kind of make this pressure, um, I guess it can kind of put a pressure on us, right? And it can cause a lot of anxiety because we don't even know what full recovery is going to look like when we're in the midst of recovery. So I guess I want to give you permission to not have that term as an endpoint. I think what's often more helpful is the term strong recovery or stable recovery, um, which is, you know, maybe more realistic for a lot of us and even myself, because even though I consider myself fully recovered, you know, I'm still susceptible to you know going through times of stress and having an increase of eating disorder thoughts now i have no desire to act on them and no desire to go back to the eating disorder but it took many many years to get to that point um and you know i still have the genetics of um that make me susceptible to an eating disorder so you know this, the term strong recovery i use that kind of interchangeably because um, it just acknowledges that it's not this binary right you know, a lot of us in the recovery community who are now, you know, on the side of being a provider do align with the term "fully recovered." But what that means to everyone is also different. So, for me, it does not mean the absence of intrusive eating disorder thoughts. For me, it means no longer having the desire to act on them. Um, you know, the frequency of them is far less. But I'm still a woman in diet culture, right? So. <laughs> I'm still inundated in diet culture because I'm just a human being in the Western world. So that doesn't mean that I'm not susceptible to some of those thoughts or body image distress, but that doesn't make me, that doesn't make someone have an eating disorder, right? An eating disorder um, is a list of specific symptoms that have to be going on for a certain amount of time. So I guess long-winded answer to say that take the pressure off of this idea of full recovery and maybe just go for a place of strong recovery where you're no longer engaging in behaviors. You're no longer very, um, tempted to act on any urges. And it just doesn't matter so much to you. Like, you know, for me being in a place of strong recovery for many years, um, I don't get triggered by that kind of stuff anymore. Um, I don't think about my past eating disorder very much unless I'm you know working and making content for you all but if I didn't have the job I did I don't think I'd be thinking of it much at all. So you just your your life just kind of goes on to a different stage of life right and the eating disorder just becomes a part of your story but it doesn't it doesn't always stay so consuming. Um, so Yeah, give yourself compassion around that though because I think that's a really common feeling, like feeling like you're not gonna recover. But my tip would be to take the pressure off of this idea of full recovery and just focus on what you need to do today to work towards a place of strong recovery. Okay, next question. How do you go in when recovery has gotten so hard that it feels impossible? So similar to the first question, right? taking the pressure off of looking at the long term, I find that a lot of clients in this kind of beginning or middle stage of recovery um, feel way too much anxiety about the prospect of looking into the future years in advance. Like, they're just trying to survive the day, right? And so what I would say is really kind of slow down and look at what you need to do today, what small step you can take this day or this week to just take one tiny step into recovery and try not to think about all the things you need to accomplish in order to recover. Um, because yeah, that's gonna get super overwhelming and super paralyzing, right? Um, so, you know, research shows we do a lot better with very small goals in the short term. Um, and then over time that adds up to big changes. And that was certainly my experience. Um, I just focused on what do I need to do today to be in recovery? What do I need to do this week? You know, go to my appointments, challenge a fear of your food, um, journal, practice other coping skills, um, reduce exercise. You know, all whatever is within, whatever is specific to your eating disorder recovery journey, focus on one day at a time. And honestly, in the beginning and the, the middle parts, sometimes focusing on one hour at a time is even a better approach because even just getting through the day can feel exhausting and unbearable. So focus on what you need to do one hour at a time. Oftentimes I'll have my clients write out kind of like a daily recovery schedule. Um, You know, it's flexible. It doesn't have to be followed perfectly, but having a little bit of structure and knowing what you need to do each day can be super helpful and Again, not focusing so much on long-term outcomes. Um, Okay, I hope that helped. Okay, next question. Is it okay to feel extreme hunger even after a year of recovery? I feel scared sometimes because I eat too much. Okay, great question. Yes, it is absolutely okay to feel extreme hunger um, a year after recovery. I think it takes most people quite a while Um, to get past the extreme hunger phase, and a lot of things can interfere with, you know, going through that and getting to the other side. So, like, if you have periods of restriction within that year, of course, then your body's going to kind of start that whole refeeding cycle over, Um, because it's really a trauma to your body to restrict, and your body is meant to survive. Your body is going to, that's why we get extreme hunger in the refeeding process, because Our body's like, okay, it's time to repair the damage that was done with the restriction and save extra energy so that in case we go through a famine again, because again, your body doesn't know the difference between you purposely restricting or having an eating disorder versus going through like an actual food shortage or famine. So it's designed to keep you alive. And that's why extreme hunger happens. And you have to honor it. In order to get to the other side, you really have to lean in and honor that extreme hunger. You know, when I was in the stage of recovery, I kept snacks around all the time because it it seemed to like just come out of nowhere, right? So, keeping like nutrient dense snacks in your bag or your car, your purse at all times, um, and giving yourself permission to again, take it a day at a time, but also remember that this is kind of like your medicine to get better, right? Um, I don't love that that slogan because, you know, it kind of puts this moral value on food, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about good or bad food. I just mean that in the refeeding stage, you need to be nourished and you need to respond to those hunger cues. And this is where having support of a dietitian and therapist or a recovery coach is super helpful because... To just normalize that experience right because you're probably not seeing other people around you going through this extreme hunger and it can feel um really vulnerable to be eating more than other people around you but you have to think of all the you know months and years and times that you restricted like your body now needs to make up for that so please don't judge yourself give yourself permission to honor that hunger okay last question how to help for binging. So this kind of goes off the last one too. Um, Binging, you know, is the most common, binge eating disorder is the most common eating disorder yet not always talked about, Um, or maybe less talked about in recovery spaces, right? Which is wild because it's the most common, but there's so much stigma and shame that comes with binge eating disorder, which is why I think it doesn't get talked about enough. Um, So number one, The number one trigger for binge eating is restriction. So I've never worked with someone with binge eating disorder that doesn't have some element of restriction, whether that's physical restriction, like trying to like quote unquote diet during the day or only have certain foods during the day. Um, And then at night when the body has time to kind of like relax, um, it sends extra signals to eat all that you needed that you didn't get during the day, right? Um, There's also mental restriction. So this is like judging foods as good or bad or feeling guilty for eating certain foods. This also sends a message to your brain that we might be going into like starvation or famine mode. So again it's going to kind of cue um, these binge eating behaviors. So restrictions number one. There's also emotional triggers which are really common We can't really address that until we address the restriction, though, because your body is meant, again, to survive and to get the nutrients it needs. So for true binge eating disorder, this is based off of your nutritional needs already being met, right? So if you're restricting, you know, all day, your nutritional needs are not being met. So of course you're going to binge at night. Um, I see this happen all the time, um, especially in uh, recovery from restrictive eating disorders. Um, People feel like they're jumping from eating disorder to eating disorder, but the reality is you're, you're refeeding, so you're going to need larger quantities of food. Now, the second biggest trigger, like I said, is emotional triggers. So, binging is a way to regulate emotions. It quiets our emotions and our thoughts for a little bit. Um, it feels good for a little bit. you know it can be feel comforting. it can feel nurturing. Eating is inherently emotional and there's nothing wrong with that it's only when that is our only coping skill that we get into trouble because we need a wide variety of coping skills to help us manage emotions right so um Learning other ways to regulate emotions, and I have a whole podcast on this topic, coping with emotions and eating disorder recovery, so definitely go listen to that. Um, but common emotional triggers I see, number one is loneliness, sadness, um, you know, anxiety, depression. Those are really, really common ones. Just feeling a lot of, like, self-hatred is another one. Sometimes it can be, like, a form of self-punishment. Um... And yeah, those are some of the biggest triggers. Now, the third biggest binging trigger is habituation. And what this means is usually when people binge, there's environmental cues that get paired with the binging. Really common is you know when you're at home alone and the TV's on, for example, your brain starts to associate when you binge under the same circumstances, environmentally, your, ba- your brain starts to associate these environmental cues with binging. So it becomes like a neural pathway in your brain that becomes kind of automatic. I hear it all the time from clients that like, I don't know what happened, just like all of a sudden I was in my kitchen and I was just, you know, binging. Now, in this case, if you can't pinpoint emotional um, triggers, if you can't um, pinpoint restriction throughout the day or the week or the month, um, then it might be a habituation trigger. It can also be a combination of these things. And so in this case, it's helpful to kind of break that routine. So maybe, um, maybe you can't control whether you're home alone or not, but maybe instead of turning on the TV, you read a book or do a puzzle or, you know, something a little different or call a friend. Um, and then it's helpful to kind of get out of the kitchen, right, and kind of take a pause. So usually urges come and go like waves, right? They they might last 20 or 30 minutes, but if you can kind of ride out that urge and distract yourself with other coping skills, calling a friend, um reading a book, going for a mindful walk, um petting your dog, you know, whatever coping skills work for you. If you can ride out that urge, most people find that after 30 minutes or so that urge has passed a little bit and you've also broken up that um you've also broke up that habituation cycle. So I hope this was helpful, you all. Thank you so much for sending these questions. And I hope I can do more episodes like this. So please um, visit my website if you have a question, www.eatingdisorderocdtherapy.com. There's a um, a form submission page where you can kind of contact me and it'll go right to my email. And you can just write any questions you have and I can get to them with the podcast. So thank you again. You can find me at bodyjustice.therapist. My um, link in bio has access to my eating disorder recovery and um, other courses I have that are online and self-paced. I hope you go check them out. My mission is to make recovery more accessible to everyone because again, who has 80 grand just laying around, right? So I hope this was helpful, y'all, well, and I'll talk to you very soon.